People will believe in the gospel more and more when they can tell that it has changed our lives and we are no longer like the world in which we live. The power of practicing what we say we believe cannot be overestimated. A large portion of the New Testament, and in particular, Paul's writings are dedicated to explaining what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus and how that relationship is lived out in everyday life. Listen to the Word of God speak as Pastor Lee shares a message entitled, Living Like We Are Christians. The reality is, uh, if you take a survey and you kind of observe the church in America today, uh, you might find that many are not living like they are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Uh, because the reality is, being a Christian is different than when we were not a Christian. You've not been a Christian all of your life. That's not the way this works. You come to a point in your life where you meet Jesus personally. The Holy Spirit of God convicts you of your sin. You repent and turn to Him in faith. And you are regenerated at that moment. You are justified. You are brought into the family of God. And the Bible says that at that point you become a new creature in Christ Jesus. So this morning I want us to take a few moments and talk a little bit about what it means to live like that has happened in our lives. To live like we are Christians. And I'll just read the first verse that we're going to deal with and uh, pray and then we'll dive in. In chapter 2 and verse 12 it says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence... But even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that in these next few moments that you will uh, be our guide, our teacher. And uh, Lord, that we will hear from you in this place today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A preacher was once asked when he was going to stop preaching on a particular topic, a particular theme. Apparently, this preacher had been exhausting the subject and had been preaching from a certain book for quite a while. His reply was this, I'll stop preaching it when you start living it. I would take it one step further, and I would say that people will start believing it when we start living it. People will believe in the gospel more and more when they can tell that it has changed our lives and we are no longer like the world in which we live. You see, the power of practicing what we say we believe cannot be overestimated. A large portion of the New Testament and a large portion of Paul's writings are dedicated to what it means 
to explaining what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus and how that relationship is lived out in everyday life. In other words, how to live like a Christian. The Bible addresses this. How to live as Christ's followers. In fact, the verse that we began uh, reading there uh, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, this has to do with li- obedience has to do with living like a Christian. And so Paul's saying, hey, back 10 years ago, when I shared the gospel with you in the city of Philippi, you came to faith and you began to obey Jesus at that time, just like you were obeying him then, now continue to obey. Verse 15, he uses a phrase uh, that's a really interesting phrase. He talks about believers shining like stars in the world. All of these verses point to living like a Christian. If we reach back to the beginning of chapter 2, we read exhortations to unity, uh, to selflessness, and to humility. And then he uses Jesus in that well-known passage there as the premier, uh, premium example, the premier example of what it means to be humble. And says, hey, uh, to the church in Philippi, have this attitude. Have this type of, of disposition about yourself, the kind that Christ had, and be humble. And so now we might be thinking, well, that's, that's a lot. That's almost impossible for us to be like Christ in this way. Seemingly impossible task, except that in chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, apart from Christ, it is impossible. But at some point in your life, God began a work in you. And He's going to be faithful to complete that work, which means helping us to become more like Jesus. Paul shares at least four things in today's text that point to living like a Christian. As Christians, we are expected, first of all, to make spiritual progress. To make spiritual progress. Let's go back to that verse again. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. One of the things I think we oftentimes neglect or forget in the church is that we are supposed to be making spiritual progress. The Bible teaches that we have a part to play in our spiritual formation and our spiritual growth. It teaches that being saved in a moment of time is not all there is to salvation. That there is much more to come. That there is much more for us to experience. Now, while we are secure in our salvation positionally, that means when we came to faith in Christ and He saved us, He saved us for all of eternity. That's what eternal life is. Positionally, we know that according to Ephesians, 
We've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. We are saved forevermore, according to what the Bible says. And so, uh, but, but from that point on, we are supposed to grow. We are supposed to see spiritual progress in our lives. While we are secure positionally, we are to, as Paul says, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what Paul is saying is that believers in Philippi were to continue making spiritual progress even in his absence. He said, I'm gone, but you need to take responsibility for your own spiritual growth. Paul's saying, I'm expecting you to continue to grow spiritually, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, here is what is not being said by the use of this phrase. Paul is not saying that you have to work to earn your salvation. It's easy to look at that out of context and and understand that he's saying, you better be good. You you better, hey, with fear and trembling, you better work it out. You may not make it. That's not what Paul's saying at all. That's not how these words are used. In fact, you'll remember that this letter was written to who? The church, those who had already been born again. It's not written to unbelievers. It's written to believers. And then recall with me the testimony of the rest of the Scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace... Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. This reference to working out our salvation is a reference to sanctification. It means being set apart, it means being made holy, it means spiritual progress, becoming more like God. Jesus. Work out, the phrase here, literally means to reach a goal or to carry something to its conclusion. Now, in reference to salvation, if you've been saved, you got it. (laughs) But now God is continuing to work in you, and God is continuing to work in me to make us more like Jesus. Now, in verse 13, he uses the word work or working again, for it is God who is working. Now, that's an interesting word because it refers to the energizing work of God. Uh, It it refers to uh, the fact that God is working in us to help us make spiritual progress. In other words, God saves us, gives us His Holy Spirit, and it energizes us energizes our wills, energizes our desires so that we respond and make spiritual progress. You may have heard somebody say before, I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be, right? Uh, Everyone who is a believer should be able to say that. Now, we shouldn't say the first part, Uh, as an excuse for not living right. (laughs) Well, I'm not what I should be. Well, thank God He's making you somebody that you should be, right? He's working. That's what this 
this passage, verse 13, is talking about. He is, he is working. He is energizing. He is doing His work in our lives. Working out our salvation has nothing to do with getting saved. It has everything to do with living saved. Living saved. Some, uh, many, many have kind of looked at this passage and used the illustration of a gold mine to help understand what's happening here in the Scriptures. Let's say that your long-lost Uncle Delbert called. Anybody got an Uncle Delbert? I didn't think you would. Uh, and uh, he says, I'm leaving you a gold mine. And so he passes away. Sure enough, you get a letter in the mail. You didn't even know there was an active gold mine in the country. So you, you're real skeptical. You make a trip to check it out. It's all legal. And sure enough, you get some prospectors to go with you, check it out, and they're finding gold in them their hills. You've inherited a gold mine. But you'll not receive any benefit from that gold. That gold will not do you any good unless you mine for it. Unless you go get it. God in His grace has given us a gold mine. We've been saved. Now go get it. There's lots there for us to experience in this lifetime and in the next. That's what Paul's talking about when he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We work out in our lives what God has worked into our lives. The second thing I want you to notice in the scriptures here is that as Christians, we are expected to find spiritual contentment. We're expected to make spiritual progress, but we're also expected to find spiritual contentment. Here's some of y'all, this is your life verse. I know it is. I know that verse 14 is some of your life verses. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Now, as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and we work out to completion the salvation that God has worked in us, we're able to find spiritual contentment. Here, here's the idea is that believers in Philippi will not just do some things without complaining and without arguing, fussing, and fighting amongst themselves. Because it says, do everything. The expectation is to do everything without grumbling and without complaining and arguing. The word without means to isolate yourself. Paul is saying, isolate yourself from complaining and arguing. The word here that refers to uh, that first word, there's two words here. The first word is grumbling. That word in the original language means murmuring. It's not an outward, very loud grumbling. It's an undertone. It's the way most of us grumble. Right? To somebody else a little more quietly, but not necessarily out loud in front of everybody. And that's the idea behind the word. 
It's the type of complaining and murmuring that manifests itself in the form of gossip and leads to dissension within the church. The next word is arguing or disputing. It's, a, it's talking about an argument or dispute that leads to division. Someone wrote, this was so good I thought, murmuring is a sign of a discontented soul. Mm. Murmuring is a sign of a discontented soul. Because we are working out what God has worked in us, we are able to find spiritual contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, a couple chapters over. Paul's going to address this again, and we'll get there later. But he says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content. In whatever circumstances I find myself. Well, we know from the testimony of Scripture, he had found himself in about every type of circumstance there was. He'd been beaten. He, was, he says, I was hungry. I've been full. I've had a lot. I've had nothing. He's been up. He's been down. He's been all around. He's saying, I, found, I have learned how to be content in all of these circumstances. Now, when you read the book of Philippians, you realize that peace and joy are themes in the book. It's mentioned often throughout the book. We are, at, we are most at peace and we are most full of joy when we have learned to be content in whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Now, some of you might just be a whole lot more spiritual than I am. But that's hard for me to do at times. Don't we experience so much of life at different times that we find ourselves discontent? I think that's true of all of us. The reality is we are living in a place and time where contentment is not necessarily considered to be a great value. Now, those of us in, us, in, in the room who've had contentment, experienced contentment, we know it's valuable. But the time and place in which we are now living doesn't necessarily hold this up as a value. Here's what I mean. We in America must always have more. We must always do more. And we must always be more. That's not contentment. That's not being content. We live in what we might call a never satisfied society. Never satisfied. And yet, contentment is held as a virtue in the Scriptures. In fact, as Paul was writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 11, he said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a, a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I don't know if you noticed all of the, the uh, explicit words and phrases in these verses describing what happens when someone is discontent, what it leads to. 
It's a trap. It's a temptation. It's foolish. It's harmful. It's, it's, it leads, uh, plunges people to ruin and destruction. Uh, it leads to all kinds of evil and pierces themselves with many grief. And there's a, there's a lot there where, that discontentment can take us to. Living a lifestyle of a Christian means that we find spiritual contentment. We find that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It means living isolated from complaining and grumbling. This is one of those things in the Bible that we just kind of shrug at and go on at times, right? I mean, there are, there are some sins that we have accepted among us. Grumbling and complaining is one of them. When's the last time you started to grumble and complain and murmur and somebody said, hey, don't do that, that's a sin. Paul said that we are to isolate ourselves from that. Well, that doesn't seem to be quite as bad as the rest of the sins mentioned in the Bible, right? So uh, we tend to let some slide. Someone else wrote, your petty squabble will soon tear the heart out of your testimony. Your petty squabble will soon tear the heart out of your testimony. Thirdly, I want you to notice, to live like Christian, we're to demonstrate spiritual integrity, verses 15 and 16. Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that. You see that? Do everything without grumbling and complaining so that. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. Why are we to do all things without grumbling and complaining? Remember that phrase, so that? Because it demonstrates a high level of spiritual integrity. I don't know of anything that is more damaging to our testimonies than inconsistency between what we say and how we live. Paul is making a contrast here between uh, verse 14 and verses 15 and 16. And in verse, in verse 15, he talks, he uses these words about um, being pure, being blameless, being faultless. He's not talking about being perfect. No worries, none of us fall into that category, right? But he is talking about living in such a way that people have a hard time finding fault in you. That's what blameless means. When we talk about living above reproach, we're talking about living in such a way that people have a hard time finding something bad in your character or in your life, finding fault in you. So he's, he's admonishing them to this type of lifestyle, but he's contrasting it with what he's just said in verse 14. Here's what that means. We cannot be blameless, harmless children of God without fault who shine like stars in the sky if we are constantly grumbling, murmuring, complaining, and fighting. You can't do both. It's impossible to do both. 
but many in the church today seem to think that we can. There's this idea that we can get saved, live like the world, indulge the flesh, say yes to the devil when it provides enjoyment, and still go to heaven. Now, let me just say that the Bible never teaches that salvation works that way in our lives. The Bible doesn't teach that salvation is something that we, that we get and that we are able to live inconsistent with everything the Bible says the rest of our lives and go to heaven. You might say, well, can you do that? Well, you know, if you're truly saved, I'm thinking that that can possibly happen. But what I'm telling you is that the Bible doesn't ever say that. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> the Bible doesn't teach that, that that is the way of salvation. In fact, it teaches that there's no evidence of salvation in our lives if that's the way that we live our lives. In fact, what Paul says, instead of get saved, indulge the flesh, live like the world, say yes to the devil whenever it helps me, uh, and then get to the end of my life and hope for the best. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is God who is working in you for His purpose and good pleasure. Those two sound totally opposite. Totally opposite. But as was mentioned in our devotion time this morning before church, the church oftentimes paints the wrong picture of what becoming a Christian is all about. And therefore, people run down these rabbit trails before they ever realize that there's a lot more to it. You know, in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, let's just stop right there. What if people got saved and they realized day one? The Bible says, present your body as a living sacrifice. It's just a different way of thinking. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age or be conformed to the world. Squeezed into the world's mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Demonstrating spiritual integrity. When I was a young boy, probably late elementary school, maybe, maybe uh, middle school. My mom's here today, so she's hearing these stories. She's probably heard them before. Um, I was spending the night with a friend whose father was an atheist. And um, just right around the corner, we all played. We were neighborhood kids. We all played together. And uh, I tried to get him to go to church with me. He never would go to church with me. We were there one night at his house, and I, began to, I felt convicted about witnessing to him. So I started telling him about the Lord. He started asking questions, and I thought, well, this is good. And when I got through, he finally, he finally said something like this. I don't remember the exact words, but this is how I heard it. Lee, I know you. You ain't got anything I don't. 
Well, that probably came from me punching him in the mouth and, you know, all kind of stuff as we were young kids. I mean, we used to beat him up all the time. And that, I mean, you know, I, I had not lived a life of integrity in front of him. And I can tell you for sure he was not going to listen to anything I said because the way I lived said more to him than anything that came out of my mouth. Now, that was a long time ago, and I hadn't punched anybody in the mouth in a while. So... Uh, But I think you get the point, even as adults, sometimes we can say one thing and our lives can say something that are totally different than what we're claiming to be. We demonstrate spiritual integrity by shining like stars. Isn't that a cool phrase? Shining like stars in the world and holding fast to the word of life. He says, in a crooked and perverted generation... You see, integrity dictates that we live what we say we believe, and we do so in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation. Here's the reality for us this morning. Either this is changing our lives or it is not. It's not a book of information. It's a book of information that leads to transformation. It's not just to be read it's to be lived. It's to be lived out in our lives. Last thing I want you to notice that we are expected to do is to live like Christians is that we are expected to experience spiritual joy. Verses 17 and 18, but even if I am poured out like uh, as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What Paul is really saying here is that you are to experience, to the church in Philippi, that you're to experience joy, but you're to experience joy by experiencing sacrifice. And I'll show you that here in just a moment. Paul is regarding his own life as a sacrifice for the spiritual welfare of those in the church at Philippi. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Paul is understanding him, himself to be a sacrificial offering for the sake of the spirituality of the people in the church. Every pastor, every church planter, every church leader should see themselves in the same way. Now this is one of Paul's ways of teaching them that the way of sacrifice is the way of spiritual joy. It's the opposite of what our minds have been taught to think. He refers here to being poured out like an Old Testament drink offering, which by the way, that would have been wine. The amount of wine that they would have poured on the sacrifice depended on the value of the sacrifice. So, the greater the sacrifice, the greater the amount of wine. Wine in the Bible represents joy. The greater the amount of sacrifice, the greater the amount of wine, the greater, that's what Paul is saying, the greater the amount of sacrifice, the greater the amount of joy. 
He is saying, I'm, when, when my life might be about to end, it may be actually poured out as a sacrifice in this way. But in that, knowing it is for you, I find great joy. I find great joy. After, now, 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 don't stop there. After Paul makes it clear that sacrificing his own life for their spiritual welfare brought him joy, he tells them to do the same. Did you see that in the last verse? What are those first few words in verse 18? In the same way. You do the same thing. You find spiritual joy in making that kind of sacrifice. Let me ask you a question. Do we experience joy by making personal sacrifices for the spiritual welfare of others? That's probably something that should happen in our lives quite often. I think maybe we fall back up into some of those other verses when we're having to sacrifice for the spiritual welfare of others and there might be a little bit of murmuring and grumbling and complaining going on. The same Holy Spirit that was working in Paul is the same Holy Spirit that was working in the people. And that's what he wanted them to know, that God is at work in you. He expected great things for the church in Philippi because he knew that they had believed in a great God and were indwelt by his Holy Spirit. And so as you read these verses, here's what you hear Paul saying. He's in prison. He was with them 10 years earlier. He's not there. He's made that clear. In my absence, you need to continue to make spiritual progress. Find spiritual contentment. You need to demonstrate spiritual integrity, and you need to experience spiritual joy. There's a lot for you, church. There's a lot for you as you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, the Christian life is different from any other way of life. Many in the church today do not seem to understand this. You see, one of the great struggles the church today, in the church today is that people have been taught a very fluffy, watered-down version of Christianity that requires very little obedience and demonstrates minimal amounts of spiritual transformation. Many have grown up in church without equating a call to follow Jesus as a call to the crucified life. And for some of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that phrase. The crucified life. Many have never heard that before. The fact that being a Christian would cost us something is a foreign concept. It's, it's more like this. Sign up for all the benefits And yet that's not in the New Testament. Instead of hearing about the crucified life, they've been taught that Christianity and church are good things and that we should make them a part of our lives when we can, when they are convenient, 
when they, when they seem to benefit us the most. The church today is suffering from a counterfeit Christianity that is more cultural than it is Christ-centered. It is more worldly than it is word-based. It is filled with positive energy, but lacks the power of the Holy Spirit. It is open, uh, oftentimes superficial and not sacrificial. What does it really mean to live like we are Christians? Have you ever wondered what Paul might think of today's church? Or maybe what Jesus might think of today's church? What might they say about the norms and the standards that we've adopted for, quote, Christianity? And would they even recognize some of us and some of what we do as being a part of the movement Jesus began over 2,000 years ago? So, with all that being said, take this one out the door with you. That is this. Go and live like you've been saved. Thank you for listening to the Word of God Speak, the sermon podcast of Pastor Lee Merck. We hope that you were blessed by today's episode.